All right, I'm rolling. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to the You Mad Bro podcast, and I warn you of mature content ahead. This show aims to tackle controversial topics going on in the world on a week-to-week basis. The platform of this program is opinionated and occasionally supported by examples and facts, but does not ever aim to be definite. That being said, the views offered by our hosts and guests are not intended to offend or hurt the feelings of any person, no matter their race, gender, sexual orientation, political viewpoint, etc. They only serve as catalysts for poor attempts at humor and maybe a different way of thinking. If you're such an individual that is easily offended or cannot handle your own viewpoints being challenged, You've been adequately warned to not participate. If you're still with us, then please stand, kneel, or lay down. Just be sure to remove your ball caps for the national anthem. What? You mad, bro? All right, all right, all right. Everyone settle down, settle down. You two over there, Nash. I know we're multitasking a lot this week. By me, I by, by we, I mean me. I'm recording video, record multi-track audio, a bunch of video. I'm, my brain hurts, it's confused. My CPU is running at 100%, fluctuating on 60%, 38%, 40%. So I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be pretty ticked <laughs> off. Nash, what do you think? Uh, you should, I don't know, probably stabilize that. Thanks. Thanks, bud. I'll, I'll get right on that. I don't know how to do that, but I'll work on it. <laughs> this, this is the You Mad Bro podcast for the coming future, for now. In uh, biggestpodcastsolutions.com to find all of our archives and everything else going on. Video will be coming soon. My new webcam is here and it's gorgeous. You can't see it right now, but it's gorgeous. I'm looking at it right now. It's beautiful. Um, but yeah, uh, you remember on Instagram, Facebook, all that's changing. So yada, yada, yada. This week, we are talking not about um, not about impeachment, not about Gina Carano. Uh, we can kind of touch upon it a little bit. Uh, Nash, what do you think about that, that chick from Star Wars getting fired? She got fired? Yeah, she. you didn't see this? Uh, yeah. Um, no, Gina Carano, whatever her name is, she like she made a few tweets. Well, she first of all, during the regular Mandalorian while I was airing, people this is tweeting like you know, fire her for a while. So, this has been a long time coming. And did, did Lucas Films and Disney finally uh gave her to can after she pretty much said, I'm paraphrasing here on Twitter that you know, how how Germany got neighbor to turn on neighbor that then turn on the Jews is very similar to what's going on with Republicans. And people were just like, wow. It's a bold move, Cotton. Let's see how it plays out for him. Huh. Interesting. It's like, I, I kind I of... Can I, I can understand. I can, yeah, I can understand why she I was fired. I can understand it. I can totally understand why she was it's fired. Kind of, it, I can understand the comment too, because it's kind of like the anti-fascist group that's filled with fascists doing things that fascist organizations did. Oh, that's essentially her point. That's essentially her point. It's like, well, you know, the, the party of the nice guys is the one, you know, being all hateful and everything. It's like I see her point, but you 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 got to be very bold to compare them to the Holocaust and Disney firing her. I get it. Um, is this cancel culture? Kind of. Kind of. But I don't think it's as big a deal as deplatforming or something else. You know, she got fired from a Star Wars TV show uh, for saying something controversial that the company didn't like after being warned not to keep doing it. So is it against her freedom of speech? No, she's not really getting arrested. Nothing's really happening to her. She just lost her job. But yeah, that's that. And then the impeachment trial. Nash, what do you think of the impeachment? <laughs> Trump got away again. Yeah, of course. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> is it a surprise? Were people shocked? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> That's what I don't get is people being how how anybody thought that would work. Oh, I because essentially the president the the president would have been set where they could impeach someone that isn't in office, which means Taffy, you could be impeached right now. Uh, means you could never run for public office. Well, yes, but the crime he committed happened while he was in office. What crime? Well, the crime he was alleged of committing. Like, he Uh was, he, like, it's not like, me, it's different. It's not like they could just impeach me for allegedly inciting violence I've never held office, especially if I didn't, like, um allegedly incite violence while holding office. It's different. Because otherwise, I would just go to criminal court. They wouldn't try and impeach me because I've never held office before. Well, they can't now because it didn't pass. But that's the whole thing is that if it did go through, then, yeah, they could. Because that's kind of how our whole government works is if you mess up, if people don't like what you do and it isn't illegal, they vote you out. Yeah, and he was already voted out. He got... got he got voted out. So there's no point to call him a criminal if he didn't do anything illegal. Yeah. It wasn't a criminal case. I, I, I do agree with you. I think the, the whole impeachment was a giant waste of time, especially because they could have just used the 14th amendment. You know, he gave aid and comfort to people holding an insurrection. So they did. And you knew it wasn't going to pass. This is like political theater to for the Democrats to point figures at Republicans and go, wow, you're so evil. But it backfires because Republicans are going to point at Democrats and going, wow, you're so evil for trying. So it really just furthers the divide and doesn't help anything. And it's really stupid. So, yeah, impeachment was just, again, was just, was just a, a sham. And it really was, yeah. it, there wasn't enough blatant evidence. Like there was enough wiggle room, enough gray area for him to say he maybe didn't incite violence. You know, and the words they were using against him is something multiple politicians on every political spectrum have said time and time again throughout history. We have to fight like hell. Name me one politician who doesn't say we have to fight. Yeah. Well, no, even, I mean, uh, you can go on and find clips of literally every politician saying all the, that exact same phrase, fight like hell. But the only difference is, Nash. almost every single politician finding it. The only difference is, Nash, those words didn't lead to violence. How did they not? During the George Floyd, the events following George Floyd's death, how did Democrats saying fight like hell not lead to violence when it did. I don't know if it was like, I see what you're saying here. I, I would say like, you know, I agree. I think that was indirectly responsible. How we, like I've said it, the uh, the rhetoric that Democrats have used all last year towards the riots on January 6th, our first show back, I said, yeah, they are indirectly responsible. But I can't, I don't know if you can make the, the claim that what Democrats have said over the summer directly led to more violence like Trump's words did. I would say their actions more directly led to violence. They're inaction. They're in a leadership position and they let rioters loot and burn and 
kill people and get killed. It's, maybe that's why they don't want after the fourth, worse. Maybe that's why they don't want to use the Fourteenth Amendment because it could easily just be turned around on them. Be like, okay, you're gone too, which kind of makes me want that to happen because anyone anyone who supported the riots over the summer should be held in the same court of public opinion that Trump was for inciting this riot. Like, you're both equally to blame for different reasons. Yeah, one was an attack on uh, the government building. The other was on small businesses. Those aren't the same thing, granted. But you can make a valid argument for which one's worse. Yeah, and, I mean, one of the biggest things that was kind of the most ridiculous factor of all was, like, Trump requested additional National Guard troops for January 6th, but it got denied. Hmm. I think by the mayor of... D.C.? D.C. Huh. I'm not 100% on that, but he did say we could bring in more troops, and they were, no, he got told no. Hmm. That was kind of... That and almost every single election in the past decade has had riots after it. Yeah. In Washington. Well, let's let's do a deep dive into the election. It's time to look back a little bit because I saw this video, uh, the Jimmy Dore show, um, on YouTube. So I go on news. Sue me. Uh, did a video about this Times Mag Time Magazine article titled "The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign." That saved the 2020 election. Now I was like, wait a minute, what? A sh- the secret shadow campaign. Yeah, th- that sounds like a conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely does. <laughs> that sounds very much like a conspiracy. Now, Jimmy, Jimmy Dore did this whole 20-minute rant, which I, I, I can link to, um, about it. And I had to actually, I, I was like, okay, I need to actually read this article and just just figure out what the hell is going on here. So I read it. I don't know if it's as bad as Jimmy said it was, but there are some aspects of it that are really chilling at what they did and tried to do and how it was framed by the time by Time Magazine and how, what they actually did. So we're going to go through beat by beat uh, not the whole article. We're going to go up until leading up until the actual election and kind of cutting off at the cutting off at the aftermath. So the secret history of the shadow campaign that saved the 2020 election by Time Magazine. Um, this is the inside story of the conspiracy. They even called it a conspiracy, Nash. In the first sentence, I called it a conspiracy. I'm I'm amazed at how this even exists. <laughs> like, okay, okay, like this this is this is Time Magazine patting themselves on the back for all the hard work done to save democracy, and they describe it as a conspiracy. Great, fucking fantastic. So this is the inside story of the conspiracy to save the 2020 election based on access to the group's inner workings, never never before seen documents and interviews with dozens of those involved from across the political spectrum. It is the story of an unprecedented, creative, and determined campaign whose success also reveals how close the nation came to disaster because we're not already in a disaster as it is. Now, Nash, you read this article. What do you think? This initial thoughts before we even go break it down. I honestly, like I said before, am amazed that this even exists because it essentially outlines um, 
the sort of shadow play, semi-Machiavellian strategies to save democracy, as you so well put it. And as we all know, Daffy, every great democracy is always talked about how this secretive group of the elite um, strategically deployed uh, malicious <laughs> tactics to undermine, you know, freedom of speech and public opinion. Mm. <laughs> and then they just talk about it. That's, and then, that's what amazes me. Pat, pat themselves on the back. Look at the good job we did. Here's how we did it. You're welcome, by the way. So there was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes, one that both curtailed the protests and coordinated the resistance from CEOs. Both surprises were the result of an informal alliance between left-wing activists and business titans, also known as left-wing activists. That pact <laughs> was formalized in a terse, little-noticed joint statement of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the AFL-CIO published on Election Day, and by little-noticed means undercovered by corporate media. Uh, both sides would come to see it as a sort of implicit bargain inspired by the summer's massive, sometimes destructive racial justice protests in which the forces of labor came together with the forces of capital to keep the peace and oppose Trump's assault on democracy. So we're going to we're going to stop Trump's assault on democracy by completely assaulting democracy. Right. Yeah. It's an interesting bragging point. We're gonna we're gonna least. stop rigging. We're gonna stop the rigging of democracy to make sure the rigger doesn't rig it. <laughs> Let's rig it to prevent the rigging from the other people that we assume are rigging it. The handshake between businesses <laughs> and labor was just one component of a vast cross-partisan campaign to protect the election. An extraordinary shadow effort dedicated not to winning the vote, but to ensuring it would be free and fair. How do you do that? How do you how do you yeah. how do you make a shadow effort dedicated to not winning? So how do you make it free and fair when uncorrupted? Without making it seem like you were rigging it. Oh, because you did it in shadow, in secret. Like how? It's like, well, how does it even not have a bias towards it? Yeah, exactly. Do you understand, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, like how? Okay, so it's a bunch of people that aren't elected, clearly. But you want to get your group elected, so you're going to use shadow tactics. Because that's the most democratic way to do it. Mm -hmm. That doesn't, that's conflicting. <laughs> like, and, and shadow, secret, conspiracy. Why wasn't this done in public then? Why this, it wouldn't why, have worked. Why the secrecy? It, it's the utter insanity because it's straight up like, okay, you know, everything that Trump has been saying that we've been calling him crazy for saying that we've been saying is a total conspiracy theory. Oh, yeah, well, pretty much everything he was claiming was incredibly accurate to what we were doing in the background. And here's how we did it and everybody involved. For more than a year, a loosely organized coalition of operatives scrambled to shore up America's institutions as they came under simultaneous attack from a remorseless pandemic and an autocratically inclined president. These all Everything I'm reading here is from the article directly itself. Uh, the scenario the shadow campaigners were uh, desperate to stop was not a Trump victory, 
the fact that you just say that it wasn't means it clearly was. It was an election so calamitous <laughs> that no result would be discerned at all, a failure of the cent- central act of democratic self-governance that has been a hallmark of America since its founding. So given that um, there is an insurrection on January 6th, I would say you failed. Yeah. The election was calamitous. It was a disaster. Because half the country doesn't believe it was actually true. After the 2016 election where half the country didn't believe it was true. And (laughs) it looks like they're angry at a lot of the people that were involved. (laughs) All right, here's 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 the best part, Nash. Ready for this? This this is this is the hallmark moment oh, for everyone God. out there. The participants want the secret history of the 2020 election told, even though it sounds like a paranoid fever dream, a well-funded cabal of powerful people ranging across industries and ideologies working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions change rules and laws, steer media coverage, and control the flow of information. Let me read that again. A well-funded cabal of powerful people ranging across industries and ideologies, working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions, change rules and laws, steer media coverage, and control the flow of information. They're bragging about changing rules and laws, steering media coverage, and controlling the flow of information. Well, you know, Daffy, that just strikes a chord at the great American principle of, yeah, we're going to elect all these people, but really we want our government to be done in the shadows with people that we didn't elect or don't know. And we want them to all form against everybody else to tell them what they should think. And then, you know what, let's all, let's let them make laws too. Even though they're not really in the position to do that, let's let them make the laws for us so that we follow what they think is the right ideology. And here's, here's the, here's the American way here. Here is the balls of this article. This is the next sentence. After all that bullshit, they were not rigging the election. They were fortifying it. (laughs) Steering media coverage, controlling the flow of information, influencing perceptions and changing rules and laws is not rigging the election. It's fortifying it. And they believe the public needs to understand the system's fragility in order to ensure that democracy is is in America indoors. Well, they didn't. (laughs) (laughs) They they really did it. (laughs) Dude, this is... I don't... It... it, This lacks all intellect and forward thinking. It's... I, I really, why would they write this? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, how, do you do do you really think 
This is like Jeffrey Epstein bragging about all the underage women he molested or allegedly had sex with and saying like that, like he is a god for taking virginity. Like he's the god of virginity. The Greek god of virginity. I don't know. Thank, 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 good, I, thank goodness he could do that for them. Right? You know, what, a, what an outstanding guy. Now, I don't remember anyone asking for these people to do this. No, the whole shadow concept kind of prevents anybody from really trying to know about it. All right. Because so do you think do you think people would have liked that? No, and Nash, that's just the intro to this article. That's like the first three paragraphs. <laughs> this article is so long. I, I remember I remember reading it. It was like the first two or three pages. And then it was like, and this, this article is an in-depth look at that. And I was like, hold on a minute. That wasn't the article I just read. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Utterly. Oh my God. Now I don't think everything they did is bad. Um, we'll break it down. Some of the things I think they did um, is rather good. Meaning the things they did in public uh, mostly. Um, in terms of education, awareness, and getting people out there to vote. Um, so in certain aspects, I don't think they are the devil, but in a lot of aspects, yeah, they are the devil. So the architect, Mike uh, Mike Podholzer, he should have a podcast, his name's Pod, uh, senior advisor to the president <laughs> of the AFL-CIO, the nation's largest union federation, has marshaled the latest tactics to help to, uh, tactics and data to help favored candidates win elections. Oh, so his job is to rig elections. <laughs> Marshal the latest tactics and data to help its favored candidates win elections. <laughs> uh, quote, my, oh, my basic my take on politics is that it's all pretty obvious if you don't overthink it or swallow the prevailing framework whole after that, just relentlessly identify your assumptions and challenge them. Thanks, Mike. So in 2019, he became worried about the 2020 election. After months of research, he introduced his concerns in his newsletter in October of 2019. The, use, the usual tools of data analytics and polling were not sufficient in a situation where the president himself was likely to disrupt the election. He wrote, quote, We are not prepared for the two most likely outcomes, Trump losing and refusing to concede, and Trump winning the Electoral College despite losing the popular vote by corrupting the voting process in key states, saying, quote, we desperately need to systematically red team this election so we can anticipate and plan for the worst we know will be coming our way. Now, I read that. <laughs> Two possible outcomes. He loses and he doesn't go away or he wins by cheating. No, nowhere in there was Biden <laughs> wins fairly. Or a Democrat wins fairly and Trump just takes it on the nose. That wasn't even an option. I I don't know where to even begin. Try the beginning. With that. The two most likely outcomes. Oh my god. It's it's yeah, I think you, we really need to answer the question of, is this fighting fire with fire? Yes. We're afraid he is, he is, we're afraid that he's going to rig the election. So we're going to make sure he doesn't by making sure we do. 
Now, least- is that good? Time Magazine would say yes. It's it's not a matter of because here's the thing, and it's from The Witcher. It's a great quote. The lesser, the option that's the lesser of two evils is still evil. Yeah. It's not. You see what I mean? Because if he was rigging the election, wouldn't it be a lot more just? less shadow and deception to just prove that he was doing that? Well, they tried that for four years with Russia and they couldn't find anything. Because it, it wasn't real. They made it up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they, do, so, they do do that. Later on in the article, they talk about how the mail-in voting system was going to work and they were 100% correct. Yeah. So, in that case, yeah, they were just calling him out on his BS. Trump, that is. Pronouns, pal. So, and that's not that's not fighting fire with fire. That's just saying, hey, here's what's going to happen based on the circumstances that are happening. That's education. That's not, that's not corruption. That's not fighting fire with fire. That's not rigging. That's just saying, hey, here's how the system is going to work based because of COVID. And they were correct. So that that's mm-hmm. that's not that's not bad. That's good. But is it not an equal point to also be like, hey, there's going to be a massive change in our election. We should analyze this and try to keep it as similar to the previous version as we can. Because yes. they say they made essentially that comment seem like it was from Satan himself when they're, they both seem like normal comments you would make. They both seem like very logical things to bring up. Because, mm. of course, with COVID, people should have been mailing in ballots more. But if we are mailing ballots in more, shouldn't we sort of secure that process? Because it's definitely going to be a change. Well, maybe maybe those are the laws they're trying to change. Change, <laughs> change rules and laws... For better mail-in voting. Which I believe some states did. Yeah, some did. So I don't see that as necessarily evil and bad either. I don't see that as fighting fire with fire either. Because you need to change those laws because of the given circumstances being COVID. Sort of, but you also need to allow people to analyze that change. Yeah. You know, and which they didn't like. Well, they t- they t- they took days to count the ballots. Yeah, they won. That would happen. Why was there? Why was there a resistance to do a recount when it was very close? Why were they telling people to go rent a place so they could vote there? <laughs> <laughs> Because they're influencing perceptions. They're influencing perceptions. <laughs> controlling media. <laughs> All right, let's move on. I, I just want to get I want to get rid of the fact that there is any nobility behind what they did. There isn't. This is horrific. I, 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 <laughs> in I think, every way. I think in certain circumstances where they're strictly educating is different. 
Um, but the Fight Back Table, a coalition of resistance organizers, organ, organ, organizations had begun scenario planning around the potential for a contested election, gathering liberal activists at a local and national level into what they called the Democracy Defense Coalition. Voting rights and civil rights organizations were raising alarms. A group of formal elected officials were researching emergency powers they feared Trump might exploit and protect democracy was assembling a bipartisan election crisis task force. So they all formed an alliance. So on March 3rd, Pardhoser drafted a three-page confidential memo titled Threats to the 2020 Election. The memo laid out four categories of challenges. Attack on voters, attack on election administration, attack on Trump's political opponents, and efforts to reverse the results of the election. Uh, the article goes on to say how the pandemic happened, mail-in voting, chaos, and organizing on Zoom. So uh, in mid-March, they all had these meetings like every week, two hours, or give or take, on Zoom. Um, protecting the election would require an effort of unprecedented scale. As 2020 progressed, it stretched to Congress, Silicon Valley, and the nation's storehouses. It, draw, it drew energy from the summer, summer's radical justice protests, many of whose leaders were a key part of the liberal alliance. Oh boy, that sounds like a conflict of interest. And eventually, it reached across <laughs> the aisle into the world of Trump's skeptical Republicans appalled by his attacks on democracy. Okay. So it sounds to me that since it drew energy from the summer's racial justice, uh, racial justice protests, many of whose leaders were a key part of the liberal alliance. So it sounds like they downplayed the racial uh, justice protests, violence, riots, strictly because of the election. They didn't want Trump to use it as a tool against yeah. them. Yes. That's bad. Which is very bad. That's bad. <laughs> very bad. That, that's that's kind of bad. Now, if you want to have this and, this kind of coalition to fight uh, Trump Republicans, uh, who's going to fight you? Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> I was going to make the point that, okay, so this is a very large, grander moral issue, and it's being some down to, no, we'll just get this election so he can hold power. So somebody else can hold power. Yeah. It, it's, it, there's like a question, it's a philosophical question in war, especially around World War II that started to come up, that it's sort of like, we can win the war, but sort of what's the cost of us winning it? That's why we sort of bombed Japan, because... We didn't think it was worth it to to lose so many troops fighting on the mainland of Japan, right? Yeah. Because so many of our troops would have died. So we did the largely, what people would say, a moral act of dropping the bomb and annihilating largely civilians. And it's sort of like, yeah, that's an immoral thing, but what would have happened, there would have been hand-to-hand -hand street fighting all over Japan, the entire island, with civilians like there was in Stalingrad. Do you see what I'm getting at? So it, it it's, yes, I can see your point. Okay, so you're going to do this for a moral good. But to get to that moral good, you're destroying other key issues that are incredibly moral that need to be addressed. You're going to denounce them just for the political authority? Yeah. It makes it very blatantly clear that they don't care about the moral side of it at all. It isn't actually about doing good or helping. It's about 
winning. Selfish. They didn't have, yeah, they didn't have that thought of, okay, well, how will this negatively affect America, the American people? How this negatively affect the black community? How would this negatively affect all these other factors? Because it seems like they don't care. It's a means to an end. Because it's not, they don't have to deal with the, the results. Yeah, like if you're going to do something like this, you need to be very careful and look yourself in the mirror and be honest with yourself. Because you got to go, at what point are we fighting them, the, 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 the insignificant them, and at what point are we becoming them? It's like you fight so hard to stop something and it becoming the exact same thing. And it's like you got to look yourself in the mirror and keep yourself in check. And that's that's what I feel like I get from this is them totally saying, yeah, we're not we're not part of them. We don't have to we don't have to worry about the them issues. We have to worry about the key players at the top because that only affects us. Yeah. We're not affected with the petty squabble down below us. And so that's why I see this whole collective thing is supremely negative because yes okay you can do good education here but what's the point of good education if it's to tie into an entire social perception just to falsify it if it's part of that false image you're creating like it's built on what a is lie? the good in that like it's built on a lie it's built on a lie mm. yes mm. because once they get into power they're going to realize that they're the exact same like trump and biden really aren't that different the only difference is that Biden isn't an asshole on like a, as a person, personally. But their policies, no, I, I think, I think what they did is they created the enemy that didn't exist that they thought existed, and it, they just made it themselves. Mm. Yeah, they were so scared of stopping Trump, they figured, okay, if anyone's gonna be him, it might as well be us. Yeah, and in reality, I don't think he was what they thought. <laughs> I just, I think he was just a roadblock. Under many circumstances, yes. Um, but certain circumstances, you know, he he should not he should not be allowed to hold political office ever again. Why? Because he was really bad at it. <laughs> and, Why? What did he and, do that was well, bad? And, well, and he he gave he gave aid and comfort to people holding an insurrection. So did the Democrats. But were they holding an insurrection though? Across like majority, a lot of the U.S. Yeah, rioting and protesting is one. Well, I mean, the only thing I would the only thing I would say is the closest thing would be Chaz in Seattle. When they occupied, I think that was far worse. When they occupied those four took, city blocks, they took, they, they, they took it over they for like took a, like total a week control or two. of it. Yeah, for a week or two. Yeah, and and the mayor of Seattle gave them like food and said it was like the summer of love. Yeah, I yeah, that is that is the exact same. That is worse than what Trump did on January sixth. Yeah, I'll give. Yeah, that is one hundred percent. I I would say that. Yeah, uh -huh. and and neither of them should be allowed to hold office ever again. I don't see how Trump gave him gave them aid, though. He said, "We love you." You know, we're, you're doing you're like you're doing the okay. right thing. Okay, and we, then we, he we, said, we, "Don't we, be violent." Too. We, we, we covered this on the show, Nash. When we read his tweets directly, he directly gave him aid and comfort. Sort of, not not really. Looking back on it, he really didn't. 
he opposed the violence as much as he supported it. Yeah, he talked. If at, honestly, he I would say a, he opposed. He talked out of both sides. He, of his mouth. he he said, "We love and support you." Okay, very vague, and then he said he condoned the violence. And he actually tried to take action to prevent further violence with trying to get more National Guard there that we, he wasn't allowed to. So one of his statements is backed up by action. One of them is very loose and very vague and doesn't actually give anybody comfort. It doesn't actually aid in their cause. He tried to do something that would hurt their cause to be violent. I really hate you sometimes. You know that? You're a real piece of shit sometimes, Nash. <laughs> well, it agitates me because it's a matter of denouncing everything he has to say when he says stuff that has to do with, like, oh, the deep state. You so know, so what, do you do, what do you do with someone like a President Trump who talks at both sides of his mouth? Go with what he does. Okay. Well, what did he do then? He tried to get the National Guard there, but he wasn't allowed. That was before? That was leading up to the uh, to the, the riot, yeah. He tried to have more National Guard there for that hearing. Well, let's get back to the topic at hand. So, securing the vote. That is the topic at hand. Securing the vote. <laughs> Uh, this part part of the article meaning talks about mail-in voting, lack of funding from the government, applying for grants, securing the vote. Honestly, um, I do think this is good work to ensure the voting was secure by the group. Um, so in March, this is from the article, in March, activists appealed to Congress to steer COVID relief money to eliminate to, to, to election administration led by the Leadership Conference of Civil and Human Rights. More than 150 organizations signed a letter to every member of Congress uh, seeking $2 billion in election funding. It was somewhat successful. The CARES Act passed later that month, contained $400 million in grants to state election administrations, administrators, excuse me, but the next uh, tranche of relief funding didn't add up to the number. It wasn't going to be enough. Uh, private philanthropy stepped in into the breach. An assortment of foundations contributed tens of millions in election administrating funding. The Chan Zuckerberg Initiative chipped in $300 million on her own. Uh, in the end, nearly half the electorate cast the ballots by mail in 2020, practically a revolution in how people vote. About a quarter voted in early in person. About only a quarter of voters cast their ballots the traditional way in person on election day. So I do think it's a good record saying like, hey, we need funding to make sure this election is secure. Give us some funding. Like that's I think that, that that's that's exactly what this group probably should have been doing. Which group? The Cabal? The Cabal. Okay. But isn't it kind of fishy? Explain. Right? Explain. Because we have a group of people that are very blatantly biased, yeah. right? Um, and now they're trying to centralize the structure of voting. 
Well, they're trying to make sure that like laws aren't put in place by the person in power, meaning Republicans and Trump, to make sure that the mail-in votes are not discounted or not qualified. That's that's something that needs that's something that needs to be done. Due to COVID, mail-in voting had to become a big thing. So you need it. You need funding for that. You need to make sure that is in place. You need to make sure that is secure in an election to make sure it is fair. That, in my opinion, is not rigging an election. That is actually fortifying it. Because, like, listen, COVID, you need to have mail-in voting. It, it had to happen. All right. But it was done by only one side. Well, it's they because didn't want you to know they were doing it. The other side was saying mail-in voting is full of fraud. Well, which is which is claim, de- which is debatable at at the very least. Well, now that claim becomes more probable because now you've got an entirely centralized biased group doing it. So what were they supposed to do? Just nothing. I don't know. It seems not use shadow tactics. Well, this one wasn't because you know how, okay. Cause you know, you know how, all right. You know how a while ago we were saying, Oh, you know, Trump's claims about there being voter fraud and all that is a bunch of BS, right? Yeah. Well, if I knew about the cabal of people organizing the vote, I would be like, yeah, it kind of sounds like it is. I didn't earlier. I thought, what he was saying was a bunch of crap because of course people are going to have to mail it in. But if the people that are organizing and structuring the entire mail in are people that are only against you, how is that fair? That does that, that conspiracy does seem to have some light to it. Well, couldn't you flip that on the other side as well? If the only people who want you to mail in person are the person that's for you, has that is that the exact same thing? Or is it different because that's how we've been doing it forever? No, it's different because it wasn't shared. It wasn't a shared point. It was you've got this one side and this other side. I don't have an issue with fortifying the election. That's fine with me. But how can you tell me it's fortified when you blatantly say you disregard the other person's opinion and you're going to do everything in your power to make sure they don't win? That You see how you can't say we're, we're, we're the noble cause, but we're going to do anything we need to do to win. Do you see how how that kind of conflicts? Because you can't be the noble cause. Yes, yeah, I I do. But this wasn't this. this I don't think this particular thing was done in secrecy. Activists appealed to Congress to steer COVID relief money. Like that's very public. Uh, One hundred fifty organizations signed a letter to every member of Congress. That's public. You know, Chan Zuckerberg giving three hundred million. That's public. Yeah, but all of being connected wasn't. Now it is connected. Mm. So I, that's right, what I'm so, saying. So all I agree people, with you like all on the people, fact all these people working together wasn't made public. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like I'm fine with that happening on its own. I, I don't have a problem with that at all. I have a problem with that being affiliated with everything else that's trying to 
convince people of their opinion by bending laws in their favor and public perception that may is not true. So, so that, so that's would, where I have an issue. You want to serve it. Not, not, not what they did. The reason they did it is more what we have issue with. Yeah. How they did it was not, well, how are, I don't, I can't know. That's my issue. I can't know if it was just, if it was done right, because based off of how this seems like it's organized, it is very unjust. It is very not right, not democratic. Hmm. All right. Well, let's get to the worst of the worst. Ready for this, Nash? The disinformation defense. (laughs) Uh, A.K.A. the arbiters of truth. Arbiter. The arbiter. I am the arbiter. The arbiter. Bad actors spreading false information is nothing new. Also, it's something you can't fight. That's me putting it in the net. It's not in the article. Uh, this is from the article. For decades, <laughs> campaigns have grappled with everything from anonymous calls claiming the election has been rescheduled to flyers spreading nasty smears about candidates' families. But Trump's lies and conspiracy theories, the viral force of social media, and the involvement of foreign meddlers made disinformation a broader, deeper threat to 2020. Uh, the involvement of foreign meddlers uh, made disinformation broader. Yeah, but they did that on their own. That's not because of Trump. That's been proven. You conspiracy assholes. Um, Laura Quinn, a veteran progressive operative who co-founded Catalyst, began studying this problem a few years ago. She piloted a nameless secret project. Right, stop right there. She piloted a <laughs> nameless secret project, which she has never before publicly discussed. That tracked disinformation online and tried to figure out how to combat it. One component was tracking dangerous <laughs> lies that might otherwise spread unnoticed. Researchers then provided information to campaigners or the media to track down the sources and expose them. Hi, right, Nash. What do you think of Miss Quinn? Um. Well, this is where you get, it is the worst of the worst here, because this is where you get the very biased opinions that we saw, where, okay, you can track these people for what you are calling disinformation, but the very blatant and obvious disinformation that you are perpetuating, nope, we're going to let it slide. Yeah, again, who's, again, Miss Quinn, who's going to check the meat, who's going to check the media and the campaigners on misinformation. Because it's not yeah, going to be I, you. Yeah, and I think it was something that Jimmy Dore brought up, how they um, uh, they blocked a guy on Twitter that was like a Russian or East uh, Eastern European like composer for misinformation or for being a bot, a Russian bot, when he wasn't. It was just his account. it's like what (laughs) so you're it's more of what it seems to me is like it's not okay how can we stop this you know the illegal like people using you know bots and stuff like that to spread misinformation it's like okay how can we accuse people and say they're using misinformation and get them off how can we do that and people be okay with it Uh, Nash you want to know something completely crazy Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah so 
January 6th, there was this independent journalist, because um, I think it was Chomsky who said the quote, lift up your phone in the air. All of you are now independent journalists, right? Yeah. So he recorded what happened on January 6th, shot footage of the riots, the, the insurrection, yada, 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 put it on YouTube, and YouTube took it down because it violated their gun policies and violence policies, and possible misinformation policies. Now, he was just documenting what happened, and they took it down. But here's where it gets even worse. CNN, Fox, MSNBC, major news companies licensed out the footage, and they used the exact same footage that YouTube took down from an independent source but kept up for the big news. Oh, my God. That's what changing the rules and laws looks like. That's egregious. They're trying to shut down independent journalism because it's misinformation. Because they can't be trusted because they're not corporate media that they want you to hear. They won't cover a story like this or even debate if it's ethical like me and you are. At least I'm trying to debate. Yeah. You. It's hard. <laughs> well, no, because we'll see that. That's my thing is I find it incredibly unethical. Like I don't necessarily find structuring a vote to be safe. Of course, I don't find that. I don't find a flaw in that. Uh, but the ethics of it is so murky that. Yeah. And their reason, I mean, their reason I, for like doing the, it. And that's, that's the thing. If I had examples of them showing that they were unbiased, right, of them showing it being fair, of it being impartial, then I probably wouldn't have that big a problem with what they did because they did it for the right reasons. But it just blatantly seems like they didn't. They wanted the power, and mm-hmm. that's it. Everything else is just a means to it. That's what I have the issue with, and that's why when you look at something that should be securing the vote, which everybody should be like, yeah, of course we should secure that more. That's why it's very scary that now I have to question it because they've very clearly put their morality into question, and they're trying to be the guardians of information. Yeah. So what did Ms. Quinn say was the most important takeaway from her research? Uh, It was that engaging with toxic content only made it worse. So... Fighting bad information with better information didn't help. Quote, the more engagement something gets, the more the platform boosts it. The algorithm reads that as, oh, this is popular. People want more of it, end quote. The solution, she included, was to pressure platforms to enforce their rules by both removing content or accounts that spread disinformation and by more aggressively policing it in the first place, a.k.a. This is Will Tarashuk original. Censorship. Quinn's research gave ammunition to advocates pushing social media platforms to take a harder line. In November 2019, Mark Zuckerberg invited nine civil rights leaders to dinner at his home where they warned him about the danger of the election-related falsehoods that they were already spreading unchecked. So, people who are part of this cabal who are clearly biased pushed Mark Zuckerberg to do what they wanted him to do. Quote, it took pushing, 
urging, conversations, brainstorming, all of that to get to a place where we ended up with more rigorous rule in, rules and enforcement. That's from Vanita Gupta, president and CEO of the Leadership Conference of Civil and Human Rights, who attended the dinner, who also met with Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey and others. And once you know it, Nash, Gupta has been nominated for Associate Attorney General by President Biden. That doesn't seem biased in any way. And this is a big thing to make here is they're writing this in this article as if any of that information about how to handle disinformation is new. Is good. This is the thing. It's not. And misinformation works the exact same way. Because if, if the easiest way to argue with somebody is to just shut them up. It doesn't matter whether you're right or wrong. It's hard to argue if you're right or wrong either way. Arguing is a difficult thing. Having a constructive debate is pretty challenging. It takes a lot of mental fortitude because you could be right but still end up losing just because you don't have the words to use it for it. So, yeah, that's very classical fascism is, oh, this guy is saying something that opposes my viewpoint. Let's just go kill him or make sure he never talks about it again. Yeah, that isn't that isn't a new concept. And they're making it. Oh, yeah, we had to do tons of research and on this. Yeah, we needed to get all the data we could to come to this conclusion. Like, no, uh, you did it. <laughs> a third grader could come up with this. <laughs> it's not complex. They're just looking for to make it sound right, to make it sound just. When yeah. It isn't. Yeah. Yeah. No, you can't. Like, here's the thing. She, I'm not going to say that she uh, did all this to get a spot in the Biden administration, but she did all of these things and ended up getting a spot in the Biden administration. She was part Mm -hmm. of this cabal to make sure Biden won, giving information to the campaigners in the media to make sure that Biden won. And then she won. Then he won, excuse me. And then she got rewarded for it in his cabinet. By and got more immediate access to power. Yeah, by corruption. This is corruption. This is straight up corruption. <laughs> corruption. This this disinformation <laughs> defense is just. Psst, we're corrupt, and we're rich, and we're elitist, and fuck you. Uh, do what we say. We're going to take everything you have. And that's the most dangerous thing of all, honestly. Like, th- this is what... Why... So you know how much I love to say history is important. But this is just a very good example, because if you read this article and have no concept of history at all, you're going to be like, okay, yeah, I guess that makes sense. You have nothing to compare it to. But these aren't new ideas. These aren't great philosophical questions that humanity has been trying to understand forever. It's like, no, it's what got, uh, who is it that got killed? Socrates? Or is it Plato? I think it was Socrates. I think it was Socrates. Yeah. Socrates. How'd he get killed? They didn't like what he had to say. Yeah, he, he had he had a best, certain philosophy and they just murdered the fuck out of him. Yeah, best way, best way to fight his argument because they couldn't beat him in the argument, let's just kill him. That way, no one's going to listen to his argument anymore. Our argument's going to be really easy to make because nobody's there to fight the point. 
They're like, they're like, oh, we can't combat things we don't like because that'll make it more popular. I know. Let's just not let them say it. Yeah. And granted, what they're cutting off could be a thousand percent wrong. They could say that Australia doesn't exist and they take that down. I don't care. You shouldn't have the right to have that taken down. Yeah, because why is it important? Well, they fought for four years to get him impeached on uh, three years, two two or three years, to get him impeached for the whole Russia involvement thing, and that was misinformation. And why didn't they still stop pushing that from it. happening? They're still pushing it. They're still saying it's right. Jimmy Kimmel said the GameStop thing had to do with Russian foreign investigators. It's like, clearly, they're being very picky and choosy with their misinformation. Yeah. Again, and and they don't look in the mirror. Like, anything a Democratic senator has accused Trump of doing, I can guarantee you that exact same senator or someone very close to them has done the exact same thing. Except, you know, grabbing by the pussy. <laughs> but that's just, yeah. that's just Trump being an asshole. That's the only difference between him and Biden. Yeah. Trump is a fucking blatant asshole. At least, at least with Trump, you the, he wasn't he wasn't secretive about his corruption. He was just he was just like <laughs> I'm just gonna have my son-in-law in my cabinet. My daughter's gonna be in my cabinet. Uh, Saudi Arabia is gonna pay my hotels. And I'm gonna give them weapons. He's out in the open, so we could be like, wow, this is fucked up. Joe Biden, his campaign, the liberals and the Democrats are just like, shh. You know what the best thing for democracy is? Let's get rid of all that democracy stuff. <laughs> Spreading the word. Next going on. So this is something completely different. Uh, I think this is another good thing, but Nash, you might have a, some pushback on their motives. It was crucial for voters to understand that despite what Trump was saying, mail-in votes weren't susceptible to fraud and that it would be normal if some states weren't finished counting votes on election night. The 22 Democrats and 22 Republicans on the National Council on Election Integrity met on, a, on Zoom at least once a week that ran ads in six states, made statements, wrote articles, and alerted local officials to potential problems. The Voting Rights Lab and Interaction created state-specific memes and graphics spread the word spread by email, text, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram and TikTok, urging that every vote be counted. Together, they were viewed more than one billion times. Protect Democracy's election task force issued reports and held media briefings with high-profile experts across the political spectrum, resulting in widespread coverage of political election issues and fact-checking on Trump's false claims. So let's jump back a little bit. Um, yeah, they, I was going to say, so you agreed with everything they did, right? Um, the, 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 the spreading the word by email, text, Twitter, Facebook, you know, 22 Democrats, 22 Republicans meeting on Zoom. Yeah, I have no, yeah. I have no problem with any of that. Yeah, I agree too. I don't have a problem with that. What I do have is um, an issue with this, the very first part. It was crucial for voters to understand that despite what Trump was saying, mail-in votes weren't susceptible to fraud. Of course they are. I mean, everything's susceptible to fraud. I know. And there have been... So, I mean, 
there have been instances where they found fraud and it was, you know, it's one in a million. It's super rare, but it happens. And it's important to say that, yes, it's possible. It will account for less than one half of 1%, but it's possible. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it it happened, I I don't think, to such a massive scale, although now I don't know because of how many people are involved in this that clearly targeted that, but lying about it, oh, no, it's, you can't corrupt this at all. But who's saying that? An organization backed by a bunch of people that are very corrupt. So, like, that's the thing. I don't have a problem with 22 Democrats and 22 Republicans, yeah, good. You shouldn't be educating the people. You shouldn't be educating the people that everything is perfect because guess what? It's not. You should be educating people on like, okay, this is where fraud happens. This is how we stop fraud. You don't have to spill the beans on everything, but you should educate the people with actual knowledge, not just made up fairy tales. Yeah, because the, the, again, this this is the issue I have. This makes it more. This makes it harder to believe because you can't tell me it's an ult, it's an ultimate truth. It's not. <laughs> There's evidence that it's not. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I now I want an entire investigation done on this because of all this entanglement. Remember, remember they said like a week after the election that they did research and it was quote the most secure election in history. That was the official narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I didn't believe that back then for a second, because you know they yeah. even mentioned it in their own article. Only in this exact article, only like twenty percent of people voted in person in the national election. So only twenty people voted how we have normally voted since the beginning of time, majority wise. And you can tell me it's 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 the most secure election, even though we've done eighty percent of it completely different. Yeah, exactly. And it's not like a matter of, um, you know, we're updating it. We're adding an extra step of security. It's a matter of, no, we're going to do more mail-in. That's what we're going to do. We're not adding more. We're not adding an additional layer of security. We're just doing it bigger. Yeah. So the organization's tracking polls found the message was being heard percentage of the public that didn't expect to know the winner on election night gradually rose uh, until by late October, it was over 70%. A majority of also believed that a prolonged count wasn't a sign of problems. Podhoser, meanwhile, was warning everyone he knew that polls were underestimating Trump's support. The data he shared with media organizations who would be calling the election was tremendously useful to understand what was happening as the votes rolled in, according to a member of the major network's political unit who spoke with Partheiser before Election Day. Most analysts who recognized there would be a, quote, blue shift in key battleground states, the surge of votes, meanwhile, toward Democrats, uh, driven by tallies of mail-in ballots, but they also hadn't comprehended how much better Trump was likely to do on Election Day. So I think all that's good too. He's like, hey, like here's here's what's going to happen on the election. But maybe it's because we rigged it. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, exactly. Yeah. I don't have a problem with letting people know that yeah. this is where the issue comes like. It's like, oh yeah, this might happen. Okay, that's fine. Anybody should be able to say that. Yeah. But you're censoring somebody who's saying a different thing about what might happen. And you're vehemently opposed to him. Because, in the shadows. Because it's not misinformation because you said so. All right. Uh, people power. 
We're almost done, Nash. I know we're going a little over. We're almost done. The racial. I'm ju- fine with going over with this. The racial justice uprising sparked George Flo- that sparked by George Floyd's killing in May was not primarily a political movement. Are you sure? Are you sure it wasn't a political movement? Because it turned political really quickly. Uh, the organizers who helped let it wanted to harness its momentum for the election without allowing it to be co-opted by politicians. Um, well, well, that's what happened. Well, also, it's not what happened. Black Lives Matter doesn't have organizers. I mean, they do have people that organize, but they don't have a singular voice. They do have, I do believe they have a team of people that organize a lot of it. Yeah. They have founders um, who work with it, you know. People. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but in practice, they don't have the consistent voice or really reaction. It varies across the board everywhere. They wanted to harness its momentum for the election without allowing it to be co-opted by Paul. What did you think was going to happen? Yeah. And many, yeah. many of the organizers were part of Podhouse's networks that are part of this giant cabal. Their words, not mine. From the activists in battleground states who partnered with the Democracy Defense Coalition to organize organizations with leading roles in the movement for black lives. The best way to ensure people's voices were heard, they decided was to protect their ability to vote. Let alone their right to protest. Just... Make sure you can vote. They created a force of election defenders who, unlike traditional poll watchers, were trained in de-escalation techniques during early voting on election day. They surrounded lines of voters in urban areas with a joy to the polls effort that turned the act of casting ballots into a street party. Black organizers also recruited thousands of poll workers to ensure polling places would stay open in their communities. I have a mixed feeling about this one in particular because while okay. while uh, ensuring that everyone votes, yes, good, very good, that's fine. A big reason very why good. a big reason why uh, Georgia turned blue for Biden was because of Stacey Abrams. She did a lot of grassroots work. Uh, going to the community, specifically the black communities, making sure they came out and voted, and they did. And that is a big reason why Georgia turned blue. Now, why it stayed blue was um, because Biden, you know, did a two thousand dollars stimulus checks, and uh, you know, we all we all know how that turned out. <laughs> then, well, I guess we'll know more about how it turns out in the future. <laughs> yeah. So he, he lied. He lied about the stimulus checks. I don't have. I don't have the clip, but I want to. I want to play it again. But I don't have it. I deleted it. Um, so, but the fact that many of these organizers were part of the movement, Nash, what do you, you know, the whole, the whole election defenders, joy to the polls. It's just like, okay, but when, when, when Trump supporters were there watching the polls as they're allowed to do, there was a bunch of hoopla and they were getting kicked out. Now there's some stories saying that they were being dicks. They're breaking the rules. Fine. But. There was a lot of hoopla for one and a lot of, yay, look at what we're doing for the other. Yeah, and it's like, I don't have a problem with people celebrating voting as if it's like a 
to actually celebrate. I don't have a problem with that at all. More people probably should. Yeah. It's a very big deal. It's a very important thing. Um, but you take an organization that has an iffy leadership and then you take the head of the cabal, or at least its founder, is now using his network. Odds are he's going to be the person running it. So now it's run by, you know, a very biased faction <laughs> of people that don't seem to care too much about the actual issue at hand of why they were voting. Yeah, and they, they, they just care about winning. Honestly, they don't even just care about winning. They care about Trump losing. Yeah, they can they care more about their own power than anything, and Trump stood in the way of that. So crazy. Almost done. Almost done. Uh, I think this this is the last point. Strange bedfellows. About a week before election day, Parthauser received an unexpected message from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. The AFL, CIO, and Chamber uh, have a long history of antagonism. Though neither organization is explicitly partisan. Says who? We mean they're not partisan. What? Why are we even talking for the past hour? They're incredibly partisan. Um, the influential business lobby has poured hundreds of millions of dollars into Republican campaigns. That sounds pretty partisan to me. Um, or is partisan both sides? Or is partisan one side of both sides? Um, God, now you confused me. They say it's like bipartisan. Partisan. Partisan, a strong supporter partisan. of a party cause or person. So that's one. Yeah, so you want nonpartisan yeah, so, support all of them. So uh, though neither organization is explicitly partisan, yeah, they are. What do you mean? Of course they are. They should listen to this podcast because the whole cabal is very partisan. And then they go on to say, <laughs> they, after saying they're not partisan, the influential business lobby has poured hundreds of millions of dollars into Republican campaigns. That sounds partisan. Just as nations, unions funnel yeah. hundreds of millions to Democrats. That sounds partisan. Yes. <laughs> on one side is labor, on the other, management. Locked in an eternal struggle for power and resources. Uh, but behind the scenes, the business community was engaged in its own anxious discussion about how the election uh, and its aftermath might unfold. The summer's racial justice protests have sent a signal to business owners to the potential for economy disrupting civil disorder. Quote, with tensions running high, there were a lot of concern about unrest around the election or a breakdown in a normal way we handle con contentious elections. That's from Neil Bradley, the, chamber of ex the chamber's executive vice president and chief policy officer. Now, I think a lot of this is focused on the outcome of the election and the riots they were expecting to see on November, uh, like fifth, sixth, and seventh. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of what they were talking about. They were afraid of more businesses burning down. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. It's like, oh, we, you know, stoked the fire so much it might burn us. Yeah. It's like, oh, this might backfire. 
I know. Let's partner with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Although they reach out to them. It's like, I don't know what to make about this. Hmm. That seems like classic politics. Like, hey, if, if you side with us, you're the tipping factor for us to win. You want to retain power, you, you take it with us. Yeah. So now they have, now they have money, well, even more money. But I don't know. I don't know, Nash. I don't know what to think here. I don't, I mean, it's, it. it Okay, these two, these two, these two opposing groups came together at the last minute. Yeah. Over the potential for a commie disrupting civil disorder, which you know it only cost two billion dollars of damage over the summer, so I guess they didn't want any more of that. So hey, how can we rig it to make sure this doesn't happen? I don't know. I don't even know. I don't even know if that's that easy. I don't know if it's that simple. No, that's what I was about to say. I don't even think that this is an immediate solution to that problem. I guess the audience can decide. They can tell us what's what. I'm sick of telling them everything. They can yeah. tell us. <laughs> Go ahead, Nash. Let us know, for Christ's sake. Yeah. Let us know if you think about this. For the love of God. The rest, the rest of the article went on to say what happened post-election, what they almost avoided. I didn't, I didn't figure we needed to cover the rest of it because we've covered it ad nauseum uh, over the past few months. But that's the secret history of the shadow campaign that saved the 2020 election. Good God. Yeah. And it's... Uh, like, well, what's the expectation that, oh, now they don't need to be anywhere because they won, so they'll disband because that's what good people would do, right? Yeah, what happens with the next election? Like, what, what, is this, what is this group doing now? Exactly, because, of course, they haven't disbanded. They're going to continue the same thing. They're going to try to impeach the guy that was the biggest threat to him. Uh, that didn't work so well. So what's next? You know, what's going to happen more? Are we silencing more voices because they stand in the way? Yeah, how soon before we get yeah. si- how, how soon before we get silenced and YouTube kicks us off? Get enough people to listen, and yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Help us get kicked off YouTube by subscribing below. <laughs> you mad go pod? Read, read. They're redefining like destruction by your own success. They're redefining it. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, Nash. This, I, I, I guess, I guess you know, the past few months we may have been wrong. Seeing the election was clear, black and white. I still think Biden. There's no doubt, Biden. Won like under no circumstance did Trump win this election or could he have won the election? Um, it's too late now. It's, it's too late. Yeah. Now. Biden just might have had more help than he originally knew, or than we originally knew, because they may have not rigged the election, but they provided all the influence they could possibly provide. To make it look like it was being rigged in certain aspects. Yep. 
Yeah. All right. Nash has lost interest. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been episode number 75 of the You Mad Bill podcast, Secret History of the Shadow Campaign that Saved the 2020 Election. <laughs> saving your life, secretly saving your life. Because that's exactly how I want my life being saved without me knowing about it. Nash, if you're gonna save my, <laughs> if you're gonna save my life, let me know you're doing it, please. I don't want it to be a. That's something that probably shouldn't be a secret. If you're saving, if you're really saving democracy and saving the world, saving the election, it probably shouldn't be a fucking secret that you're doing it. Yeah, it really shouldn't. Democracy isn't sort of one in the shadows. And if you ask the Washington Post, democracy dies in darkness. According to this article, democracy is saved in darkness. And we'll I'm be back. My head. And we'll be back next week as long as you stay angry.